to have. I am Robin Hitchcock, and with me, as always, are Regina Connolly and Bob Shields. Hi. This week's episode examines 2000's The Legend of Bagger Vance. (laughs) I would like to note right out of the gate that the reason we're watching The Legend of Bagger Vance is it's Robin's birthday weekend, and this was her birthday treat? I would like to note that I asked for several, several (laughs) days before The Legend of Bagger Vance, but we decided for various reasons we were not ready for them, and this was the one left. And there is a convenient tie-in to the Cider House rules, which is that Rachel Portman did the music for both, which I could tell immediately. Yes. (laughs) It's very obvious. This is the Cider House rules theme now with more French horn. (laughs) So we are, uh, Regina and I are improv comedians, as cheesy as that sounds. And there is a short form improv game called Oscar winning moment. Mm-hmm. Where you do a scene and then the host will call out, all right, and now for, you know, the milkmaid's Oscar winning moment. And one of the players steps forward and like does a cheesy monologue. And when I play that game, I like to have someone in the tech booth play some cheesy music. Mm-hmm. And so I have a playlist on the Arcade Comedy Theater's Spotify of Oscar winning moment music. music. And it's just gonna be Bagger Vance. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. There you go. Playlist over. Maybe this was actually a two-hour dare. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was kind of thinking. This movie feels like it was kind of like a dare or that the writer lost a bet. It's like, okay, so either the writer of the novel it's adapted from or the writer of the screenplay because it's like, okay, now you have to adapt Bhagavad Gita into a sports movie. Go. Not just a sports movie. A golf. golf movie. The least interesting sport that exists. And that's a Scotsman saying this, folks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's. I don't know if it's the least interesting sport that exists. It is certainly the whitest. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I was like, let's adapt Hinduism to save a rich white man's golf swing. <laughs> they adapt Hinduism and incorporate racist American tropes against black people mm-hmm. to yep. help a rich white man's golf swing. Yep. It's kind of it's kind of fucked up. Strings, <laughs> French horn. <laughs> this movie is basically if you created a movie to explain a trope, in this case the magical negro. Yep. And I looked it up, apparently that term magical negro comes from Spike Lee when he did a lecture tour in 2001 
specifically referencing this movie <laughs> and the Green Mile and obviously a million other things in our culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and the original long form was super duper magical Negro. <laughs> Is there audio of this lecture tour? I, I hope so. I Minimal research, but I was okay. so excited to hear that. But yeah, this is literally, they were like, you know how sometimes they have that black character whose only job is to help white characters with their problems and they do it kind of mystically? Let's make a movie to illustrate that. So speaking of the mysticism, at some, so I did not know the secret plot that was going on. It was not thinly veiled. It was thickly veiled for me. And so like what... <laughs> The, what Will Smith was doing at all. And at some point, he's talking to Matt Damon about, I don't know, his grip on the world and his grip on his golf swing. And there were, like, these weird shots of, like, nature. And Will Smith's voice was, like, layered over itself. And I actually genuinely thought for a moment that we got some copy of the movie that someone was fucking with. They were like, this movie's so dumb. Like, let's make this crazy sequence that doesn't make any sense. No. And then I was like, no one would actually do that. Except for the people who were paid to make this movie. Like, that's the choice they went with. The person being Robert Redford! Oh my god, when his... I didn't know that he had directed it. And then, as the movie ended, and I was like, oh, they really made Will Smith soft shoe into the sunset. And then Robert Redford's name came up, and then Bob said that he's made... Oh yeah, he makes... his Like, his catalog of movie has a surprising number of extremely boring subjects made into movies. Specifically boring sport. Okay. A River Runs Through It is about fly fishing. <laughs> and he has a movie which is literally called Quiz Show, which apparently is That's actually good. a really great movie. I've heard it's good. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie. It's about the 21 scandal with Charles Van Doren. You should watch that movie. It's really, really good. I've heard it's that good. That is his best movie. Well, there you go. For sure. So better than fly fishing and... I've actually... Golf. Never seen A River Runs Through It. I always confuse it with Legends of the Fall. Yes. <laughs> I've never Both have Brad Pitt. That's why. I've seen Legends of the Fall. What's the one about? Oh, The Bridges of Madison County. I get those mixed up Which as was well. Clint Eastwood. Oh. So I had a question, because you know more about uh, A, celebrities, and B, movies. So do people consider Robert Redford, like, a great director? Because I was like, would, like, no. would people look at him the same way they will look at Clint Eastwood as a director? No. Okay. No. So Robert Redford has won an Oscar for directing. He won an Oscar for directing Ordinary People. Not and that Horse was Whisperer? No. Although Horse Whisperer, another movie about a relatively boring subject. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he won an Oscar for directing Ordinary People, which is maligned because Raging Bull came out that year. And uh, I think that that's what people like really thought uh, that was like, oh, that should have been Scorsese's Oscar. Gotcha. Um, but Ordinary People is a great movie. Okay. So I think he has it. I okay. think he can make a good movie. I don't think that he always does. Not to say well, that Clint he Eastwood always does American Sniper, but like <laughs> I think that people Clint Eastwood has like a really solid batting average with his movies in a way yeah. that I don't think that Robert Redford does. Also, Clint Eastwood has probably made three times as many movies. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this movie weirdly reminded me, like once I saw that it was directed by Robert Redford, I was like, it weirdly reminded me of The Great Gatsby starring Robert Redford. Yeah. Not in content or like at all, but just the way it was sort of like soft lens filmed and the, like this was obviously a much more terrible version, but I was kind of like, did Robert Redford direct this movie? Because he's like, I want to remember what I felt like when I acted in a much better movie. <laughs> I mean, it could have been, but this, um, it definitely is kind of a it feels like a parody movie it doesn't feel like it's about the thing that it's about it feels like it's ribbing the audience based on 
like the book or whatever. Because when I remember I had never heard of this movie at all until we mentioned it last week. Okay. Never heard of it. I, I, I think I'd seen the poster and everything, presumably from looking up Charlie's, like it just shows up. And I think I thought, I was like, oh, that's like an old TV movie that they were in before they were famous. But no, everybody was fully famous in this movie when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but to watch the like the screenshots of it and like the the actual quality of how it's made, it feels extremely cheap and thin. Like it doesn't have any real substance to it. And it's high, kind of highlighted at the very end when you have the money shot of him taking the final golf swing and like the path is like highlighted like a video game. On there the are a lot of video game golf swings yeah. in this movie. And I know because I've seen some video game golf because I have golf family. Uh. <laughs> Remember last week when I was like, oh, I used to summer in Maine. Now I'm like, I have a golf family. <laughs> oh man. I, so like, I think they tried very hard and very erratically to make golf moments tense and they 100% failed for me yeah but like yep. they did the jaws shot where it was like we're zooming in oh, and yeah. moving backwards they like compress the perspective like yeah also it's really precious you called that the jaws shot full disclosure i only called it that because bob told me that's what it was i think of that as the vertigo shot <laughs> oh that's probably more classic okay yeah. but you're right they do it in jaws too yes. <laughs> maybe i just have hitchcock bias um <laughs> and i felt like like on different sequences they're like we're gonna try to make this shot interesting and then other times they're like Eh, no. Guys, I'm going to do the quick plot summary. Okay. okay. It's going to be really quick. It's going to be lightning quick. So, <laughs> basically, Matt Damon plays Ranoff Juna, who is a Savannah, Georgia-based golfer. He goes to World War One. He gets PTSD. He abandons his wife, Charlize Theron, and she is a golf heiress, I suppose, So her father owns a beautiful golf estate, kills himself because of the Great Depression. So she's going to save the farm, essentially, by having a great golf exhibition with Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen, who are the two greatest golfers and who are actual people, which I never would have known. Those are actual golfers. And then there's a little bit of pushback. So they say we need to get a local boy because we can't have those Yankees. Bobby Jones was from Atlanta. (laughs) They said the real South. Yeah. I just love that so much. So a little boy (laughs) played by Edward Furlong, if you punched his face in. (laughs) And made him only speak in sentences that were very long with him looking upwards at like a three-quarter mark. Big old eyes. And he says, what about Captain Juna? What about him? (laughs) It is his only acting credit. I know. (laughs) I just, I am fascinated by that, that poor little boy who, like, Regina, I expect you to have things to say about his mouth. No. <laughs> you have so many comments about actors' mouths normally, and he has one of the most remarkable mouths in the history of film. Well, I'm gonna have to, I do not want to go back and rewatch this movie, so you're gonna have to provide me a screenshot. Basically look, mouths are important. Let's let us not forget the rock Dwayne Rock Johnson's perfect teeth. And t- good old Tiny Palette. Uh, for our newer listeners, Tiny Palette is James Spader. I think they got it, even if you didn't give them the clue. <laughs> so this little kid, Harvey? Hardy? Something like that. I, Har- I think it's Hardy. Hardy, the yeah. little kid. When he is making, when he's listening 
Because he's the narrator, so there's a lot of shots of him listening. And his eyes are gigantic, and his mouth is a tiny little speck on the bottom part of his face. (laughs) But when he's speaking, he has teeth everywhere. Yeah, he's an anime character. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, Hardy says, what about Cap'n Juna? And they go get... Matt Damon from Grey Gardens. Mm-hmm. Has a bar in his back garden or something? He's living in like a decrepit plantation and hosting a poker game in the slave quarters on the plantation. And I'm like, just invite them into your house. <laughs> yeah, you have a huge mansion yes. house, which is empty. <laughs> guys, he's broken. He's real broken. He has PTSD, guys. And this was 2000, so that was pretty edgy for them to acknowledge <laughs> that that exists. Oh, so yeah. my favorite part about that, just to interrupt for the plot point, or the plot summary for one second, is so at some point they show him at war with one like shot of like, oh, he's at war and everyone dies except for him. And Bob just said, oh, I wonder if this is going to be a flashback later. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, he was correct. <laughs> so anyway, they convince him to be in the tournament through means including Charlize taking her clothes off. Great lingerie, though. Beautiful lingerie. It was a romper lingerie. It was a romper. Let's bring that back. <laughs> a silk romper lingerie. A plus bag yeah. of pants. Dear Vicky's secret. <laughs> so then immediately the golf tournament starts and takes up a surprising amount of the movie considering how boring golf is. It was a yep. three-day tournament. Yeah. And I was convinced. I was like, well, it can't be this one tournament is the entire movie. It sure is. Yep. It is, though. So golf happens and happens and happens. Oh, but very importantly, Will Smith arrives and becomes his magical caddy, Bagger Vance. Based on one conversation. Yes, he says, like, you lost your swing, and it's somewhere in between everything that was, everything (laughs) that is, and everything that will be. People say things like that in this movie. Repeatedly. Also, I think a thing that, the reason that that made him go like, wait, what?! Is that uh, Bagger Vance had a tendency to repeat phrases to uh, Matt Damon that other characters had said that he had no way of knowing. Right. Like, he repeats what the little kid had said about how great a golfer he used to be. And he repeats what Charlize Theron said about it wasn't too long ago. It was only a moment ago. Yeah. Also, I wasn't clear that they were married. They were married. They showed in the very beginning. In the newspaper? Yes. Can we acknowledge how great uh, Charlize Theron's uh, I'm done waiting for this asshole moment is. Oh, I like, want to make a gif of this. It's so you awesome will. where she's on the porch and it's like the narrator is like, she got tired waiting. So and it's just her it's like shaking her head, slapping her thigh she and getting on the business. She literally slaps her knee. It's so it's, good. So this movie is a very, very good example of tell don't show. Because <laughs> the entire movie is like, we're going to narrate some stuff. We're going to tell you how characters are feeling. By the we're way. We're going to tell you what they're thinking. The narrator's Jack Lemon, who if someone said to you, was Jack Lemon alive in 2000? <laughs> I would not have said yes. Well, he died immediately after making this movie. So and he Will might Smith not have been alive when it was released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he may have died before 2000 because this movie was not. literally made right. in, before then. This is a weekend at Bernie's situation. (laughs) That's why they just had him laid out on the golf course. Maybe there was supposed to be more plot in the present. Because the movie is a frame story. So it's all from like Hardy telling this. Hardy becomes Jack Lemmon. Yeah. It's an old man on a golf course who has a heart attack. And then while he's laying on the green or the bush or whatever part of the golf course he's at, (laughs) he starts telling the story of Captain Yuna. And then he dies... We assume because a young, silhouetted Will Smith 
waves at him from the beachy, sunsetty distance and is like, come with me. Yes. And then he walks off towards him. So look, Matt Damon, he joins the tournament. Will Smith is his caddy who's going to help him find his swing through various platitudes. And uh, sassin him. Yeah. They have the tournament forever. There are brief pauses for Matt Damon and Charlize to have conversations about their broken marriage, blah, blah, blah. But then the climax, such as it is, is that Matt Damon moves a piece of straw away from his golf ball and it moves. And he takes a stroke. It's so tense. He takes a stroke. Because it's the honorable thing to do. Right. And Hardy and Charlize both have tears streaming down their face. Even Bobby Jones, one of his competitors, gets misty. Because they don't want him to do it. They're like, you've come back from so far behind and you have a chance to win. But by doing the right thing, you could lose the chance to win. And he's like, I have to do it. And as soon as he does that, Will Smith is like... Goodbye. I've taught you everything I can. And he leaves and and Will or Matt Damon says, But I need you. <laughs> and Will Smith's like, not anymore. And the other golfers choke on their shots, and then Matt Damon makes an incredibly long putt, and then there's a gentleman's three-way tie. Yes, you've watched for over two hours. <laughs> For no winner. For yes. the most boring sport to come to the most boring conclusion, <laughs> which is, all right, we're and, done. And what's most amazing about that to me is like that's like their unex- unexplained like surprise ending is ah it's a tie everybody wins blah blah blah. But then there's no explanation. The movie just ends there. There's no yeah. explanation as to what the consequence of that is. Like, did Charlize's plan work? Did she get to keep the they golf They show course? her and Matt Damon dancing in a fancy place, so I assume <laughs> yes. Although I no one was worked. there, so That's... maybe it was Grey Gardens already. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or did, like, what happened to the kid's family? Did he get a cut of the winnings that were supposed to go to the caddy? Because the caddy's supposed to get 10%. Right. So it's a $10,000 prize, and I went and looked it up. $10,000 in 1931 is $150,000 of today's money. Okay. So especially during the Depression, this nine-year-old getting... But they don't show fifteen thousand dollars would have been something, right? So, like, does that then allow his dad to like open his store again? Do and they stop get back off the sweep in the street? Yeah. yeah, that was a weird side plot. So the little kid's dad, because it's the Great Depression, has to close the corner store and becomes a street sweeper. And they take uh, their house becomes a boarding house. And Hardy is not happy about this. He's embarrassed by his father, right? And then uh, Matt Damon gives this like shitty speech about uh, bankruptcy, and it's kind of like bankruptcy law is there to protect people. Stop <laughs> maligning people's character for taking advantage of an entitlement program. But anyway, uh, Hardy then decides... This has been <laughs> politics with Regina. <laughs> well, like the little speech, is like, oh, your dad paid off all his debtors even though it's ruining his life, but this other guy uh, followed the law and filed for bankruptcy. What an asshole. All right, so now that I guess we've summarized this movie such as it is, let's do our one sound review. Uh, my one sound would be... <laughs> Mine will be... <sighs> Is that sleeping? Yes. Did you sleep through this? No, but I feel like I could have and it would have been restful. <laughs> Mine is... And our mic's not great, so that's probably just going to come out all ecstatic, but basically I'm sucking a lot of air through my teeth because I feel so <laughs> embarrassed for everyone involved. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, Ebert or Mebert. <laughs> Ebert or Mebert. Look how silky this movie is and how completely in command of its tone. I feel like I cheated a little bit because yeah. I looked up other reviews and I did see that. I, ju- I didn't read the review, but I did see that he reviewed it positively. Yes. So I'm going to say it's an Ebert. I think that's, that's going to be an Ebert. Yeah, you can't make this up. Roger Ebert gave The Legend of Bagger Vance three and a half stars. Holy shit. Right? My second choice was going to be, the caddy is stretched with broad strokes like some kind of angel in a sitcom. The little kid is insufferable. And how Adele and Juna... Fight and make up and fight all according to the outlines they hand out in screenwriting class. <laughs> and okay. he still gave it a good review. No, because that was me taking an actual quotation and inverting it so it's all negative. Oh. <laughs> what he actually says is, we have here the elements for a cruder movie, and then everything I just said, but they didn't do this. The kid oh. isn't insufferable. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but... Raj. <laughs> Look how silky this movie is and how completely in command of its tone is literally the first sentence of his review. So yeah, Roger Ebert's sometimes a swing and a miss. Yeah, which this movie is definitely a swing and a miss. <laughs> yes. It kind of defines the whole movie, ironically, as it's about golf. Well, you know, a man's grip on his club is about his... What is the actual quote that's it's, so bad? You can tell a lot... It's something to do with, like, you can always tell a man's grip on his club says a lot about his grip on life or something like it's some, there are so many lines exactly like that it's completely meaningless gibberish like the i don't know what kind of twisting had to be done in order to get the bhagavad gita to adapt into this story but I, I was trying to find parallels to like things that happen in the bhagavad gita that also happen in this because i was like trying to find evidence of bhagavan's mysticism because there isn't really any in the movie I was thinking of, like, two things in the movie that happens. Like, he moves in a kind of odd way when, like, the kid first meets him. Like, he sat in a chair in a rocking chair, and then the kid looks away, and then he's in a different place. Right. And I was like, oh, is that going to be a thing that he can do? Like, appear and disappear? Never comes up again. Never does it again. It's never explained or addressed by anyone. And then, of course, he shows up at the end, still presumably young, but you only see him in silhouette. So, so he's sort of timeless and ageless. But again, never addressed. You don't really see it. And so I was trying to figure out, like, uh, what are the actual parallels between this story and Bhagavad Gita? And there kind of aren't any. The only ones are that Matt Damon plays a war hero called Ranulf Juna, and the character in Bhagavad Gita was called Arjuna. So it's like when you name your character something with the initials JC. Exactly. Like John Coffey in The Green Mile. Exactly right. So it's like, it's a very, very thin type, like, and he's a war hero. And but Bagger like, Vance is also supposed to sound like... Bag of Vagisa. Yeah. Right, which doesn't make any sense, because that's the book, not the character. So, like, calling it the legend of Bagger Vance and naming a character Bagger Vance doesn't It's like naming your sense. character Bible. Yes, exactly <laughs> like calling it that. So. Is it a book title, or is it everything that ever was? Everything that right. ever could be. And the other thing I thought might be significant in the, the bag of Egypt is the, his insistence on getting paid $5. Okay. And I was like, or like getting paid something and like taking the smaller amount rather than the larger reward at the end. $5 guarantee. I saw no evidence of that anywhere in the bag of Brigitte. could not find anything. And it's stressed really hard in the movie. He it's is like, not entitled to the larger amount. He quits. Well, I know, but it's like, but he's like, he offers it to me. He's like, no, no, just $5 is fine. And like, at the very end, is like, oh, there's that matter of $5. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then he leaves. And I'm like, okay, so is that a parallel to something else? 
I couldn't find anything in the Bhagavad Gita that was similar to that. So I have no idea what the actual, like how this is potentially considered to be, you know, an adaptation of that story when it seems to have almost nothing to do with it. I, well, I have no idea. But the thing that's so baffling to me is that this movie is set in Savannah, Georgia in 1931, and there's no handling of race at all. Okay, no one... I mean, I assume that there were black caddies hmm. at luxury golf courses in the 30s, but that's 100% an assumption. I have no idea. Yeah. I did some research, and the only thing that I could come up with was that Walter Hagen was himself a caddy as a child. So... Or as a young person. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> he was never really a child. Yeah. <laughs> he is played, by the way, by Bruce McGill, who Bruce played... Great. God as a Pittsburgh bartender in the last episode of Quantum Leap. And the other player <laughs> plays a godlike character in the 4400. That's right. Joel Gresh looking incredibly handsome. I know. I was like, you're kind of putting Matt, young Matt Damon to shame in this. He is so much more handsome. Than, I think that he's meant to be more handsome than young Matt Damon. Well, they also, so the two other players, it was very broad strokes for them as well. Yes. Uh, even though they're real people. And it was like, well, one guy is a dissolute ladies man and he only plays the game for money. Walter Hagen. And the other man uh, has many, lo multiple law degrees. <laughs> And he's like, well, I'm not going to play golf anymore. I'm going to be a lawyer and raise my kids. He's got a law degree from Harvard and an English literature degree from Emory or possibly vice versa. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, Bob Jones. But I thought, <laughs> I actually thought one of the most charming moments of this very dull movie was the interaction between Bobby Jones and Matt Damon where he's yeah. kind of like, playing with you has been great. Also, I'm about to retire. But I'm not gonna let you win just because I'm about to retire. Oh yeah! Like it was just like a small conversation. I was like, oh, like this. There's some actual acting happening here. I also like Walter Hagen has to shoot something from the actual surf. Like <laughs> yes. he's in the water. He's it's in the like cigar. Yes, he says like make sure they put the flag in the hole just in case I sink it. Yeah. And then Joel Gresh says, or Baba Jones says, I'm going to miss playing Mr. Hagen. Yeah, there's just gentle respect yes. all around. Nothing it's is a gentleman's too game. The most extreme thing that happens in this movie is that a small child falls out of a tree. Which is completely unacknowledged, and he yes. just makes a whimper from off screen, but honestly, that's the best moment of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. I rewinded to watch it again. I'm going to disagree. The best moment of the entire movie, and a thing that I plan to say many times for the rest of my life. Can I guess? Yes. You've got the gumption of a cone for it, Nescaloosa. <laughs> no, but that's also pretty good. My favorite moment of the entire film is drunk Matt Damon doing the, the Goodwill hunting slouch in an armchair, <laughs> is sitting there having a drink, and then all the townsmen come into his house to convince him to play in this golf tournament, and one of them goes, but you're our gentle-born chevalier. <laughs> I wrote down a bunch of the southern isms in this that I just love. Oh, everything is a simile in this movie. Yes. Everything is like, wow, that they're as happy as two bugs in syrup kind of thing. It's like all the time. Well, I've never Bob. been to the deep south. I don't know if that's what it's really like. But I, in the movies, it is. I love her. Judah couldn't whoop a dead possum in a gunny sack. What's a gunny sack? Oh, that's something that you like travel with, which I feel like Like I a know. bindle? Maybe, but I think I know that from fantasy novels. <laughs> and then I love how there they there's a scene where the little boy Hardy Harvey I think it's Hardy Har I think it's Hardy. <laughs> uh, the little boy is trying to convince a 
town hall that has popped up about this golf <laughs> tournament. This town is nuts about golf. <laughs> Well, because, like, they want to buy Charlize's fancy farm, and she doesn't want to sell it to them at cut rates, so she's like, I'm going to do this thing. And then the men are like, meh, we want to be involved. Let's have a town hall meeting and change it. Yeah, so the little kid's like, Cap and Juna, and they're like, this is ridiculous, this will never happen. But somehow he turns them, and, like, on a dime, one of them says, with complete sincerity... Fly, lad, with winged sandals on your feet. Oh, my God. So I looked it up. A gunny sack is uh, used to transport grain, potatoes, and other agricultural products, and is often made from jute. And it is apparently uh, an imperial mistranslation of an Indian word. Oh. Oh, there you go. So... Uh, so Native don't American? get ripped in one. No, India. The okay, British. so speaking of India and British and the Bhagavad is <laughs> Walter Hagen's caddy is oh, Sikh. Yeah. Yes. And never acknowledged. Yes. Just there. <laughs> There's also a man in a kilt. Oh, yeah. The which Scott. Which perhaps brings us to... <laughs> <laughs> who is Keanu? <laughs> Wait, I did, want, I did want to ask Bob about that guy's accent. How was he doing? So, not well. <laughs> Uh, not not really badly. It wasn't like a cartoonishly bad accent, but he didn't wasn't like convincing, and he definitely pronounced Juno's name wrong. Is he actually Scottish? We're making fun of his accent, but I, he's actually a quite Scottish. Possibly, I'll look him I up. No, but um, what I did say is the one point. I think he's someone who's considered to play. They're like, oh, we should get that guy to play, and someone goes, he's a Scot. The only reason he comes into town is to get drunk. Yes, there's a lot of nonsense about how terrible Scottish people are, and then they, at their Scottish tournament of Scottish game, they have a Scottish referee. And when I say Scottish, I mean he is a cartoon. Oh, like yeah. I think he's, he's like got the little behind him. Pom pom on his head. Yep, he's in full kilt regalia with the like. He's got a chip on his shoulder about the English. Very <laughs> visible. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to say what this character's name was. <laughs> we can the look. Scotsman's name. Yeah, I can. I mean, I'm trying to look him up, but like none of these characters are listed as Scottish cartoon man. <laughs> none of them have the surname McDuck. Oh damn! Oh, here's a Dougal McDermott. That sounds. That's got to be him. Okay, he's Irish. Uh... So, who would? Keanu B. So this is why I brought this up. I feel I've been doing our C minus photoshopping for A our plus times <laughs> so a million good. for our Instagram account at Charlize Theronathan. And I feel like I have become completely poisoned and I just am thinking, what do I want to photoshop? And what I want to photoshop is Keanu as the Scottish referee of the golfing <laughs> game. But I think that if I'm playing the way that the game was meant to be played, I want Keanu to play Baba Jones. Yeah. Yeah. The the charming, handsome family man. Yeah. I would like him to play Walter Hagen because I would like to watch him put a golf ball into a woman's bosoms <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the reaction shot. Also to see him standing in the surf. Smoking a cigar, being like, I'm gonna make this. It would be fun for me. I feel like current day Keanu would be pretty good yes. as Walter Hagen, and time appropriate Keanu would be good as Bobby Jones. That is true. Much like with the Eric Stoltz situation in Two Days in the Valley. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was thinking Keanu could really replace any male actor in this. It's not like. They're all the same. Exactly. And also, that's why Keanu's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He has the range to play every single character in this movie, with the exception of Charlize. 
Um, so, but I do agree that the, the, the correct, most obvious answer is definitely, um, Bobby Jones. Um, though he could also replace Matt Damon. Like, yeah, that would be like, I just wouldn't want that for him. Right. It's much like when you said, you're like, I don't want Keanu to spend a minute more of his life in this horrible movie. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I feel about Keanu and Bagger Vance times 10. <laughs> so while we're talking about how bad this movie is, let's rank it. And then I think we probably should spend some time acknowledging that Charlize Theron is in it. Yes. <laughs> I think we, I think we've handled her appearance in this movie about the same level that the movie has handled her appearance in the <laughs> well, movie. We which say. is with, uh, not the respect that it deserves. <laughs> so I mean, she is far more prominent in this than she is in Steiner Hearts roles. Like she is a, it's a far more independent character. Like, she matters more to the plot. Yeah, and she, she slaps her knee. Yeah, she slaps her knee very well. <laughs> and she 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 sinks herself into that character. Like she yeah. was a true movie star quality. She is still Charlize, but yeah. she's like 80% the character and 20% still herself. Mm-hmm. Whereas the male actors are the are the reverse. Like they are it's Matt Damon being a golfer. It's not he's not a convincing veteran pre-golf star. Yeah. I feel like Will Smith, like, I think Will Smith is one of the most charismatic people alive. Oh, yeah. Yes. Possibly one of the most charismatic people ever to live. Yes. And he is not charismatic in this movie. See, yeah. I feel like sometimes he is... Like I was gonna I say, like I was when like, he does his soft shoe at the end, <laughs> as, as racistly embarrassing as that is. I just, like, I think that someone without his, like, historic levels of charm would have made this movie even more unwatchable because it would have just been even more boring. But I feel like the Cider House rules annoyed and angered me. And this movie, I think by putting Will Smith, who's super charming, into such a terrible movie, like that was like, ah, what a waste. Yeah. But it did make it more watchable than if someone more boring had that role. All right, let's rank it, guys. Okay. Okay. So much like Regina last week with Cider House rules, I had a moment of, is this worse than Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest? Ultimately, I decided, no, it is not. But this is decidedly my second to last movie. So it is now my number six. One space below Eon Flux and one space above Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. (laughs) Oh my god. So it is just funny to me because Eon Flux has remained my number two (laughs) so long That is amazing. I definitely am putting this one at the bottom. But for me... Like I was saying, like, Cider House Rules actively angered and irritated me. Yes. And this movie I just found so bland as to be like, ah, right. So I am going to put it a third from the bottom. So it is below Two Days in the Valley, but above the Cider House decidedly does not rule. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to buck the trend a little here because I actually, I, I can't really say that I didn't enjoy this movie because... It was just so ridiculous, like a cartoon parody movie mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, and like the kid falling out of the tree and like the weird kind of southern epithets that they come out with all the time. I'm like, this is entertaining, but not for the reason that it sets out to be. It's not inspiring in any way, but it, which is what it's really trying to do. But it is still an entertaining movie. So I'm actually going to make this my number three, I Whoa! think. And here's the thing. So I'm putting it above... The Italian Job. Yeah. My current number three. And the reason I... I don't think it's a better movie than The Italian Job, but it is at least emotional in a way that, like, is minutely effective. But The Italian Job is completely bland. Has no emotional reaction for me whatsoever. And what this movie has that The Italian Job doesn't is this movie feels like it was made by people. 
where the Italian <laughs> job feels like it was made by a machine. Like there is a corporate machine of checks and balances and data-driven decisions <laughs> that spun and eventually spat out the Italian job. Whereas this feels like, oh, a guy wrote a goofy book who then a goofy guy then adapted that into a screenplay. A goofy guy, Robert Redford, one of our greatest movie stars. Who then <laughs> adapted and like very, this movie doesn't feel like a perfect spherical ball of like a product. This feels like some kind of gnarled tree of decisions that came like people adapting different parts in different yeah. ways. And I really appreciate that as a thing. Like this is just a more human-made movie. That's I a beautiful you. argument. <laughs> to me, it is a gnarled tree of embarrassing white person oh, decisions. Oh, yeah. It's made by people, uninspired people, <laughs> but it is made by people, and I kind of like that okay, handmadeness so of it. Hearing that sort of just breaks my heart in some ways, because I'm like, how is it that three Mini Coopers driving up and over a tiny <laughs> hill was more engaging for me than Will Smith? Right? Yeah. Like, and that's a criminal misuse. Guys, the Italian job is still my number two. Oh, God. Let's <laughs> <laughs> twist it back. We, we choose down. our next movie. Our, like, primary goal should be something that is likely to unseat the Italian job. Can, can as we my deliberately two. pick a good one? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel uncomfortable with this situation. <laughs> All right. But I do think we should talk a little bit more about Charlize yes. in this movie. Yes. I think that, you know, she's there and she is good, but uh, as with many of the movies we watched recently, like, doesn't have a lot of character development. Like, she literally is sitting on a porch and it's like, the man you love has left you. How will you handle it? Oh, Slap your knee. <laughs> the narrator will say you had to get over it. And then... Like any good woman of the South. <laughs> she was used to being abandoned. <laughs> and then off she goes. And then later, like, her father, her only family member, commits suicide, and she's like, Just no big deal. I mean, I do think the scene where she, like, comes into the house and is all like, I will fuck you to make you do this golf tournament, but she's also, like, doing it to, like, kind of be mean to him about, like, how he's... She also probably her. wants to show off her amazing silk romper. <laughs> and the only thing about that scene, which I would have enjoyed so much more, if Matt Damon wasn't knowingly letting a uh, child perv uh, on her... <laughs> right. Hardy, Harvey, Hargy, Hardesty, Hanglesty. He is watching Charlize disrobe to use her body to put Matt into this golf tournament. And Matt knows! Yeah, and he's like, oh, he's asleep. Oh, yeah, don't worry about him. He's out like a light. It's so creepy. It's, yeah. yeah. But here's but, the thing. All the criticism of Charlize that you can lay on this movie is actually criticism of the writing. Yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, 100%. So My is, criticism of her here is, girl, you should have known better. Yes, exactly. This <laughs> Everyone this should yes. have known better. Exactly. But, like, this role was, like, she sank herself right into it. She did a great job. It's, I think she, this is, like, her at the top of her movie star game already. Okay. At this stage. But it's just a terrible movie. <laughs> so what this movie want like made me want actually is so in the scene where she's in bed after her father's tragic funeral, and then all of the townsmen come into her bedroom, which seems a bizarre choice for all of them. Yep. To be like, hey, we're gonna buy your thing, and she's like, no. And then she puts on her like beautiful little cap. And she has she, a lot of really cute hats. Yeah. So she's been like really <laughs> scampy about like defending her family stead or whatever. And this made me want her to have played more like scampy 1940s style like rom-com heroine yeah like oh, yeah. do you remember what's it called um they did the remake of the pillow talk 
with Renee Zellweger. It's called uh, Down with Love. Yes, which is that really a remake of Pillow Talk? It is. Okay, it's good too. I it's, love Pillow Talk. What a great movie! Down with Love is great, and okay. I was like, I actually this that's a side of Charlize that like I don't remember ever getting to see, but and I it seems feel like it would work. She would tear that role and now, apart. And like, I hate to be like sexist Hollywood, but now it's she's too old. Yeah, she won't be marks. able to. Do she could have done that very. very she could have been in Down with Love. Oh, a million oh, yeah. times. I also think like she could do like you know like Catherine Hepburny style. Yeah. Yeah. like very smart, witty, you know, like Bring that type up, of, baby. Yeah, like that that type of role, and that this was like a, a brief glimmer of like another path that her career could have gone down. So I gotta say, my 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 little thing about Charlize that I'll never stop talking about her eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> they made a regression here. I don't know if you guys noticed. This is a year after Cider House Rules, and they plucked them back well, that, out that for is, period reasons. I was gonna say that is period appropriate. But of course it's period appropriate, but poor girl, she's trying to save herself from her <laughs> 90s mistakes. So next movie will be a full bushy eyebrow <laughs> and a powerhouse <laughs> performance so that we can... I think that that's roughly true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, no, I just mean whatever we pick next. We have, we need those things. Oh, I that's see. what the podcast is missing. Oh god, we need real eyebrow Charlize. <laughs> <laughs> so... Would this movie be improved by a yes. riot? Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Let me tell you where. It seems so obvious. There is a 10-year jump yeah. in this movie for no reason other than I think they wanted the, like, cultural touchstone of World War One and then the Great Depression. Yep. So 10 years pass. No one ages a day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 10 years pass for no reason. So why not? Put Matt Damon in prison during that time. He could have easily committed some kind of war crime. Correct. Explain his abandonment of Charlize. Give her a better reason to slap her knee. And then have him get into a prison riot. It's so obvious. And then uh, the whole time in the background, you could have seen Will Smith somewhere just like watching... Not getting involved. Yes, he is in another cell whittling. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also, I think a prison riot without Matt Damon, but with like, if they decide to like lean harder into Walter Hagen being a disreputable man, have him like break out of prison to be a part of this tournament, but they can't turn him away. And I was like, that would have added some stakes. I don't know. Yeah. But unfortunately, Walter Hagen's a real dude and his estate might object to that. Fair. (laughs) Call him uh, Walter (laughs) Wagen. They'll never know. It works for Bagger Bands. Walter Wagen. Walter Wagen. What a ladies' man. Walter Wagen, starring Keanu Reeves. (laughs) All right, guys, anything else? I have a note that just says dead, question mark, question mark. I don't know what that's referring to. It must be referring to Oh, I do do remember. So I went into this movie wondering if anyone else going to interact Oh, yeah. Colin had the same reaction. I was like, and as soon as the little boy interacted with him, I was like, well, fuck, there goes my, I am figured out what the legend is, is that he got helped by a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I kind of wish that he had been a ghost instead. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been better. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for evidence of him, like, having some kind of mystical quality or, like... Not having a reflection. Because, well, yeah, because when you read the synopsis, it's like, his mystical caddy, Bagger Vance. I was like, oh, what's going to be mystical about him? Turns out, nothing is mystical about him. He doesn't do anything mystical in the whole goddamn movie. Nope. Think we talked about this last week, but not on mic. Before... This was the first time I've ever seen this movie. Same here. Same. 
in roughly 2001, my sister and I played a lot of the NES game Bubble Bobble on an emulator, and you could save it. So we made our way through the entire Bubble Bobble game and got to the last level and, like, spent hours trying to beat the last level of bubble bobble and to cheer my sister on my i would just say bagger vans bagger vans because <laughs> i was trying to like get his um his mojo yeah. his super duper magical negro spirit to help us win a at that time 15 year old nes game did he? Did you win? Did it work? I honestly can't remember. Did you find your swing? Hey, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, because that game was everything that ever was. <laughs> everything that ever could be. <laughs> you can't win, Bubble Bobble. You can <laughs> only play, Bubble Bobble. Alright, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Thronathon. I have been Robin Hitchcock. Regina Connolly. I'm Bob Shields. Our amazing theme song is, as always, by the inimitable Alex Reed. We're on Mixcloud, YouTube, basically every podcasting platform. You're probably listening to us on one of those. We're everywhere. Follow us on social media at Theronathon and at Charlize Theronathon on Instagram. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch us next week. Hopefully, Charlize will have both eyebrows and a respectable role. We're going to make a new number one. (laughs) No, we're not. (laughs) We'll find out. But most importantly, thank thank you, Charlize. Bob or anyone to do something for me. I cannot wait to say, <coughs> but, but, but you're my gentle born chevalier. Wait a second, and this is going to be a spoiler for a future episode, but isn't there something else you like to say to me? <laughs> that is true, and I will see that for later. Yeah, all right, it's not a spoiler, it's a teaser. Stay tuned, guys. <laughs> I've got um, a lot of needs and ways to get it done. Yeah. <laughs>